good morning again, everyone, and hope that your week has gone well, that you've had a good week. As we come to celebrate the Word this morning, we also come to celebrate moms and all that they mean in our life. Uh, they give us such wisdom over the years, and they protect their kids and teach them in wonderful ways. You know, some of the wisdom that I have gleaned over the years, if you watch them close, they have a secret language to protect their children. For instance, if they don't want to share their food, it's too spicy or it's too hot for you. You think about, I mean, kids, you can think about how your moms might be weird. It's okay. It builds good character. You are all the characters. You think about if you have a good mom, she might let you lick the, the, the beaters for the cake batters. That's a good mom. A great mom will turn it off first. Just remember that. Moms out there, don't let your kids give you a hard time as you get older about technology. Remember, you taught them how to use a spoon. So, I mean, which is actually worse? And then you think about the recipes that we get from our moms. You know, iced coffee is a good one. First, you have kids. Then you make coffee. You forget about the coffee. You put it in the microwave. You forget that you put it in the microwave. You come back to it. You just put some ice in it. Iced coffee. Boom. It's pretty simple. But we do appreciate you, and we're going to lift you up for that appreciation today for all that you do for our families. I know, especially for my family, I'm thankful for how many of you have come alongside of us through this time. And this morning, as we continue to look at Zephaniah, we're going to be looking at chapter 2 this morning. And we want to remember what we talked about last week in chapter 1 in terms of pride, idolatry, indifference, those types of things being the reasoning for the judgment that is going to be coming down. And throughout this whole chapter, uh, there's going to be different connections that we can make. You know, as we go through a whole chapter at a time, obviously, you can hit on a lot of different things. Um, we're giving, getting kind of an overview of these chapters. Now, as I looked at this one this week, I could spend a couple of sermons in verses 2 and 3 alone, just kind of breaking down what those terms mean, and we're going to spend a lot of time in that this morning. Um, we can also look back and make more connections to the sins that are found in chapter 1 and how they're repeated in, in chapter 2 and the need for obedience in our lives. You know, as, I, as I've said before, as I've been preaching more from a standpoint of sanctification and looking at our walks as Christians, I really liked that phrase from Jimmy Baker a few weeks ago in terms of we can love Jesus but not fear God. And I think as we're looking at Zephaniah, the importance that's drawn out in terms of the obedience, in terms of seeking him, it really stands out. So this, we'll see that importance stressed this week as we look at chapter 2, hopefully causing us to wrestle a little bit more with our walks and what they look like. So if you have your Bibles, please join me in chapter 2 as we read together. Beginning in verse 1. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. 
Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek his righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. For Gaza shall be deserted, and Ashkelon shall become a desolation. Ashdod's people shall be driven out at noon, and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to you, inhabitants of the seacoast, you you nation of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines, and I will destroy you until no inhabitant is left. And you, O seacoast, shall be pastures with meadows for shepherds and folds for flocks. The seacoast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah, on which they shall graze, and in the houses of Ashkelon. And they shall lie down at evening, for the Lord their God will be mindful of them and restore their fortunes. I've heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites, and how they have taunted my people and made boast against their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits, a waste forever. The remnant of my people shall plunder them, and the survivors of the nations shall possess them. This shall be their lot in return for their pride, because they taunted and boasted against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome against them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth, and to him shall bow down each in its place, all the lands of the nations. You also, O Cushites, shall be slain by my sword, and he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. He will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like the desert. Herds shall lie down in her midst, and all kinds of beasts, even the owl and the hedgehog, shall lodge in her capitals. A voice shall hoot in the window, devastation will be on the threshold, for her cedar work will be laid bare. This is the exultant city that lived securely, that said in her heart, I am, and there is no, other, no one else. What a desolation she has become, a wild lair for beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses, and shakes his fist. Father, as we turn to your word today, I pray, Lord, that you would give us your truth, that you would give us uh, your understanding in a lot of these matters. Help us to know what it is um, that you're calling us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so there are kind of two main sections I'm going to break this chapter up into this morning. You have the first three verses, and then you have the rest of the chapter. The first three verses are kind of a charge, more of a transition in between the judgments that are recorded in chapter 1 and the judgments in chapter 2. It's going to deal heavily with those in Judah um, in terms of how they need to be living. The rest of the chapter you see is this judgment that is going to have both the particular and the general. So it's a forest and a trees type of view. We talked about that a little bit last week, but it's going to be a both and type of thing to show that God is sovereign over all directions. So let's focus on the first three verses to start off. And we want to see how God is just, that he is sovereign, that he is willing to take a repentant heart. And you look at the first three verses, and it's interesting because in this plea, he does not use the term repent. It is clearly described in terms of his pleas calling them to change their ways, 
Um, so we can see that being described as he is crying out. Um, when we look at what he is saying, he is describing how the Lord is compassionate, how he is merciful, how he is God. You look to his pleading in verse four, or sorry, in verse two, you have multiple times that he is using the term before. So he is putting urgency within this message. Again, going back to the judgments that are going to be coming. So we see, we see this urgency, and it's one that we have to have as well in terms of understanding this message that is coming across. You see, this call to repentance is important for the people group can, as they are going to be faced with this judgment, as they're going to be confronted with their sins. When you think of the times that you're confronted with sins, you are placed in a, in a place of decision where you can repent and you can turn back to the ways of God or you can reject that, what, it, what is coming before you and face that coming judgment. You know, you think about how you find yourself in those times. You think about the patterns that you might express. You think about when you're in despair, when you're in darkness, when you're in the middle of these types of struggles, and you're facing those consequences. You know, you, you look at the imagery in chapter 1. You hear and you see this imagery in chapter 2 concerning judgment. You look at those things. You know, and your mind can go in various places. And this morning, what I want to try to do is capture some of these thoughts that can make us run astray. You see, these judgments are not there as a form of pleasure of God, where he's sadistic and he's wanting to do this. These judgments are placed in a way to frighten you out of your sins, to understand what we have done to a holy and just God, how we have transgressed against him. So before this judgment comes, before this burning anger would overtake them, before they are blown away like chaff, repent. You look at Nineveh and how they repented at the preaching of Jonah and God relented. Perhaps he would do the same because God is compassionate. For a day is quickly approaching for this shameless nation. How would they respond? You know, we can easily see how this is a... a shameless nation based on what we read last week and based on what we see a little bit here in the passage today. You know, when we look at um, the shameless aspects, we can easily compare that to our own nation as well. You know, we can connect how they were doing child sacrifices. And we can look to the, uh, the abortion issue in our nation. We can see how shamelessness happens. We can see how God responds to this in terms of judgment. We can look at that application. Now, we can also look at this application. We can think, well, that's a national thing. It's a, it's a broad spectrum type of thing. It's a cultural, it's a societal issue. It doesn't really involve me. But what Zephaniah is doing is he is going to strike to the individual. He is going to make a charge to each one because they would all be affected by this coming judgment. I mean, you would have prophets like Zephaniah who stand and declare the word of the Lord, who plead on the Lord's behalf for the people to change their ways. And yes, while we might dismiss some things and think that it's on a national scale and we're too small, we can't do, we can't do much. We want to look at this as an individual as well. In the same way that the prophets are warning the people, pastors today are doing a lot of the same things. And mainly, 
there are many times where I admit that I'm very vague in how I am describing things. Because I understand that we're all different in terms of our situations and how things impact us. I try to speak on the principles of issues and allow the spirit to work in your life individually. At least that's my hope, that that's coming through and that you're leaning into the spirit with that. But I want you to hear me this morning because each one of us individually needs to take heed to this warning about before. We each need to understand where we are with the Lord in terms of our walk, in terms of understanding how we're treating sin. And we need to pay attention. It's not a message of, well, I hope this person really hears this because they need to hear it. It's a message of, I need to hear this because I am a sinner before God. And some might say, but we have Jesus. And that's very true. But again, what I want to try to get us to do is check our mentality a bit. Because too many times we rely on that, and then we go to the indifferent, lukewarm, apathetic approach that we talked about last week. And Jesus just becomes our ticket to heaven. He's our Savior, but not our Lord. And this is where Zephaniah is really pushing the people of God to obey, to seek after him. I would also say that many times when we look at our sins, we're very soft on our sins and very critical of other people's sins. We have this lukewarm approach, this indifferent approach. Whereas before a just and holy God, except for the blood of Jesus, we are all guilty. But we have to understand in our hearts that as Christians, it's not just Christian by name. But we count the cost and we come to him with humble, broken, and contrite hearts, repentant hearts. If we have a hard and stubborn heart, nothing is going to go in. Our worship time will become something that we just do, that we are glossed over in our hearts and minds. Maybe it's a pick-me-up for the week. Maybe you get to see some friends. But our time with the Lord is measured. It's controlled. I would say that our walks with the Lord are suffering. So I don't want to run past these verses this morning. I want us to take heed of this warning in terms of the term before. And then notice in verse 3, three times he pleads for them to seek. They are to seek the Lord, to seek righteousness, and to seek humility. This is an invitation set as an imperative, and it's the key thought to this book. He is urging the faithful to obediently seek the Lord, to be in prayerful dependence. In particular, he is appealing to those faithful remnants. Now, when the destruction does come from Judah, there are those that are kept. So it appears that through his prophesying that there are some that do turn back to the Lord. 2 Kings chapter 24, 14 through 16 show how there are many men of valor, there are many strong men that are taken into captivity that will return to Jerusalem one day to remain. But as they go in captivity, they are to remain under his authority, his sovereignty, by obeying and trusting and listening to him. I think as individuals, this is the area that we need to grow in. See, we know about God, 
We're good Bible readers. We have lots of knowledge. But it's the doing and the struggle that we falter in. The living out the commands of the Lord. What do I do in these types of situations? How do I get better in these types of situations? I mean, we could share all day long about those types of struggles. Wisdom is doing what God asks us to do. So if we can be vulnerable enough to admit that we struggle in this area of our life, seek the Lord. To seek the Lord means to turn to him with your whole heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 is a very good passage on this. I mean, 13 might not be as well known as verse 11. We love verse 11, right? For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. But 13 is where we need to focus, I think. In context, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back from the place where from which I sent you into exile. You know, we read verse 11, and we're like, yeah, I'll take some of that. Give me all that blessing. Yes, Lord, I know that you got good for me. And we combine that with other passages, like 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now, we look at these types of passages... And we expect the healing because it's God. God's going to do that. We expect these good things because God wants good. We We want that lottery of blessings and that goodness. And we read over, seek me with your whole heart. We read over, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. We just see the blessings. We expect those things to come because he is God and we're his. No. Seek me with all your heart. Not a half-hearted devotion, not indifference, not an apathetic devotion. God wants all of you. And hear me, this is not a works-based thing into salvation. This is not a restoring or a blessing or a healing in ways that we determine. And again, God is so much more than the boxes that we put him in. Seek him, and you will find him. A few verses on this. You can, if you're taking notes, you can just write the verses down. Don't try to write what they say, because there's too many. Matthew 7, 7 says, seek, and you will find. 1 Chronicles 16, 11, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 105, 4, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Hebrews 6, or 11, 6, and without faith, It is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
And then very plainly, very, very plainly, Amos 5, verse 4. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Just a little bit of generalizing because I like to introspect and think a little bit. Um, Is our one day a week mentality of seeking him working out for us? Would you consider that truly seeking him? Or is that half-hearted? Think about if you spoke to your spouse one day a week. And at that, maybe it was just about the weather. Very surfacey type of things. How would that relationship be? Seek him. To seek the Lord is to depend on him rather than yourself or the idols in this world. To seek anything other than God is idolatry. Idolatry is simply making anyone or anything greater than or equal to God. He alone must be the object of our worship. And to seek him is to let him guide you in all of the affairs of your life where you are doing his just commands, where you are seeking his will over your own, where you want to do what he would have you do. And you do this through prayer. You do this by being in the word. You do this from affirmation from brothers and sisters in Christ. Being a Christian is not by name only. It is not a one day a week type of thing. He is our Savior and our Lord. And the world will know that we are his by our love, by doing what Jesus asks us to do. You think about the world. They might know They might know that you're a Christian. The world might be able to see what you do. But what I want you to wrestle with is what kind of masks do you wear? I mean, we could be one way as we're in this building. How are we at home? How are we in the workplace? What are the words that we use? And I'm driving home this point this morning because for many of us, I think that we're missing out so much in the life that Christ has for us. There's so much more, and we need accountability for that. For that, we need to seek him. After seeking him, it says to seek righteousness. This means that it is his standard that we seek. He sets the bar for human behavior, and he gives us the commands in his word. Jesus sums it up as love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as yourself. So how are we honoring God with our righteousness? How are we treating one another? How are we speaking to one another? Is it godly? God alone is right and righteous. Righteousness is not for us to to be obtained by trying harder or doing more. You know, when we, when we read these types of things and when we say seek righteousness, we can get that kind of mentality in our heads and it can turn into a works-based mentality. But that's not what this is about. You know, in the Old Testament, there was, there's different understandings than the New Testament. So many times we'd like to take Paul and read him into the Old Testament, where in reality, Paul takes the Old Testament, shows where it's fulfilled, and explains it to us. You know, there's a difference between um, Abraham who had faith in God and it was counted to him as righteousness and us being having righteousness imparted onto us by Christ. However, both understand faith in God 
in terms of who he is and what he has done. Faith in what he says he will do. And we believe in what God's word is. If we believe what God's word is, we then do what God's word says. It's not trying harder. It's simply obedience. So many times we get in that pattern of, well, Christ has got me. He's forgiven my sins so I can live however I want. As I said a couple weeks ago, that's a junk theology. We want to understand righteousness separate from salvation as well in terms of how we are understanding that. We want to do what is right in God's eyes, not our own. And we look to the end of the Torah for some of this instruction in Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, verses 16 and then verse 20 as well. It says, If you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Verse 20, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is, the, is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land and s- that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them. So in order to seek righteousness, we're understanding that we are obeying what he has already said. We're saying that the word of God is true, and we want to follow what he is saying. And that's how we are showing that we are loving him, so we want to seek righteousness. The third point is to seek humility. Humility would be the opposite of the self-centered will, the, the pride that we see in the nation of Judah and the surrounding nations that Zephaniah is talking about, that all of the prophets that we've been going over recently have been talking about, the pride that is going to be judged. You know, pride is a big issue. It always has been and it always will be, I think. People struggle with it consistently. And consistently it shows in the Bible that God judges pride. He calls us to be humble. With humility, you can think of meekness. Uh, The Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Where it's an understanding of spiritual bankruptcy. Where we understand that we are nothing. That we are humble, that we are broken. And we come before God with a contrite heart. One that sees our place compared to a holy and just God. Humility we see and brokenness we see in a lot of passages in scripture as well. Psalm 34, verse 17 and 18. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 54, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Heart, O God, you will not despise. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. Isaiah 66, 2. All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite, in spirit and trembles at my word. I mean, I understand that it's hard to be the most humble person in the room and that you can feel that at times. But we want to understand the importance of being humble, the importance of being broken before a a holy God, 
before an all-powerful God, again, who has consistently come down on pride. And we have to be real and we have to be honest about that. We need to seek humility. So again, these are three things that he is calling um, those in Judah to seek, things that we can glean in our lives and our walks today. Now, to kind of quickly go over some of these points with the judgment of the nations. Beginning in verse 4, it starts with the word for or because. It's a purpose word. It's a clausal word that's connecting the prior sections. Because of you want to you have this urgency of the before. You want to seek all of these things because of all of these judgments that are going to be coming down. And what we see here is judgment on all sides. Each of the four directions from Judah is covered in this section. So it shows the scale of the judgment. Again, you have the individual nations that are named, so this is kind of your tree's view, but then also the grander understanding of the, the future judgment where it's in every direction God controls the earth. So again, it's a forest and trees type of view. So he starts with the west, the seacoast. Verse 4 shows four of the five main cities of the Philistines listed here. Uh, these cities were strong. They were very influential of the area. Um, you also see the time of noon being given. This would represent the hottest part of the day where people would oftentimes take a rest. So what it's doing is it's showing that the day of the Lord is going to come and you're going to be unprepared. You're going to be resting. You're not going to be looking out for it. But it's still gonna, going to be coming. Um, after this destruction, the remnant would then come and take possession of this land, use it for their pastures, use it for the flocks. And of course, they're still fighting over this land even today in the Gaza Strip, understanding the, the turmoil that's there between the Palestinians and the Isra Israelites. Then in verse 8 through 11, you have Moab and Ammon being talked about, both nations taunting Israel for a long time. They would repeatedly lift themselves up against Israel. Their history, however, is interesting. And I love how Zephaniah describes this in terms of how you're going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, maybe not everyone here is a history buff, but you look at Moab and Ammon. They are the descendants of Lot and his daughters. Lot, of course, fleeing from Sodom and Gomorrah. And God's saying, you're going to be judged and you're going to be looking just like them. So again, seeing that connection, that even though they're related to Abraham, they're still taunting, they're still acting prideful before God, and they're going to receive a punishment because of that. It says that God would starve their gods. So basically, when you have the other idols, you would oftentimes offer food to feed the gods because the gods depended on your sacrifices to feed them, to give them nourishment and things like that, which, you know, if it's God, why would they depend on mortals? But God is just showing, I'm going to starve your gods because I'm going to wipe you out. There's not going to be anybody left to make offerings. And at the end of things, all of the nations are going to bow to me. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. So again, we can see the judgment on a grand scale. Now within these verses, this week, verse 10 really struck me. I was wrestling through a few different issues um, and, and this issue of pride that can continue to creep into our lives. And as I was wrestling through this, um, we understand that it can, it, it can rear its head, its ugly head in a lot of different forms. You know, and, and I'm wrestling through what Zephaniah is teaching, what, what he's teaching in terms of seeking. 
And I wrestled through my own issues in terms of how I'm seeking the Lord and how I compare to some of these other nations. You know, we wrestle through the judgment that we see in this book. And it should show us that we need to repent in a lot of different areas, in a lot of different ways. And I saw a quote from Alistair Begg this week. And he said, you're either resting in your morality or you're resting in God's mercy. May your proud endeavors to patch yourself up crumble before you. And may you cast yourself on the steadfast love of the Lord, which never, ever comes to an end. You know, oftentimes, pride gets in the way of a meaningful walk with God. Pride gets in the way of resting in his love. Because we know what's best. Because we know what works for us. Because we are seeking comfort rather than him. Our selfishness, our, our knowing what's best for us, gets in the way of a humble, broken, and contrite heart before him. Our apathy, our indifference, exposes our pride as we're pursuing other things, the things that truly matter to us. And for all of us, we have different seasons of this. We have seasons where we're on fire and we're strong for the Lord. We have seasons where we're apathetic, where we're tired, where we're trying to pay the bills and change diapers. I get that. At the same time, we want to be seeking the Lord, continuing to come before him with a broken, humble heart. Then to the south, you have Cush. So this would be southern Egypt, Ethiopia type of area. And in verse 12 there, you see no reason given for the judgment. So it's to be assumed that since the sword's coming for them, they're disregarding God in some way similar to the other nations. We're just not given the specifics. But again, it shows the sovereignty of God to be judge over all of the earth in every direction. And then to the north, you have the Assyrians, verse 13 through 15. Now, for this description of the dry wasteland, I think it'd be kind of fun if you went back and kind of read through Nahum, especially chapter 3, and you can see the comparisons of how Nahum says that Nineveh is going to be left as a wasteland. You know, you, you remember what we talked about when we went through that book and we saw what was going to happen to the, that great city, this prideful, beautiful city that had strength. It would become a dwelling place for the animals. It almost seemed like a reversion back to uh, creation, to where the animals then kind of roamed over the earth because humans who had dominion failed in their duties. But this, this beautiful, strong city that was built up by human endeavor, human accomplishments, would be laid to waste. It would be a tragedy to them. Now, another observation, as I read verse 15, I had to go back to the Hebrew and check and see the word that was there. It is a term that is a form of to be, but it's not spelled out as Yahweh. But God describes them as one who says, I am. A blasphemous statement for sure. Their pride says that I am the one who exists and there is no one else. It's just me who has power. It is the pride that was going to be their downfall because they related themselves to God. I mean, do we ever struggle with that type of mentality where it's my way or the highway? I know what's best. I'm the best thing since sliced bread. You know, the Assyrians were walking around because they thought that they were the best. 
but God's telling them that they're going to be wiped out to the point that passerbyers are going to go and they're going to shake their fist and they're going to hiss in that direction. To hiss at someone was a very uh, huge form of disgrace, of dishonor. So the, the fact that this type of attack is listed here describes the type of judgment that's going to come down upon them. You know, and we see, what we see in these judgments described in chapter 2 is, should link us to the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty that he has over all of the earth in every direction. Every direction is going to be covered. Every direction is going to be having to pay for their sins. And the indifference, the paganism, the idolatry, the pride, it would all come due. And the plea that we see from Zephaniah for the people is to seek the Lord before it's too late. To seek his face, to seek his righteousness, to seek humility. Because judgment is coming. It's a plea that gets echoed even in churches today as we look forward to the second coming, to seek the Lord, to understand the gospel message. You know, oftentimes we can get mixed up in our priorities in life, and life can steer us in different directions. But I pray that as we come each week that we are being centered by his word to align ourselves with the Father. I pray that we can, can continue to seek him each week and learn, lean more into his word, into his understanding. Not just as more knowledge, but as something that we obey, something that we do, and be doers of the word. Because idolatry is always going to be around us. There's nothing new under the sun in that regard. You're always going to have pride that's going to be vying for position in your heart and mind. You're always going to have those battles where other things are going to try to come in and influence you away from the Lord. But I want us to be reminded of what Joshua says in chapter 24. It says, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the whose land that you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose today who you will seek. What are you going to be chasing after? What are you going to be running after in your life? Because waiting for tomorrow or putting it off is just another form of indifference. Where there is no sense of urgency in your heart and mind and you can just take it or leave it. It shows an apathy in our faith. To not have this as a priority, to not be concerned about this. To say, it's not that important to me. My hope and my prayer is that we would be a people who are convinced that we would seek him, that we would seek righteousness, and that we would seek humility. Let's pray. Father, as, as you have clearly portrayed in your word, we are called to seek you. We are called into a relationship with you. Lord, we see so many things in the Bible that have distracted your people, that have taken up root and place in, in their hearts and minds. So Lord, I just pray uh, protection against that. I pray against the advances of the enemy in our hearts and minds and in our lives. And Lord, if we are caught in a struggle of sin, 
I pray for forgiveness, a repentant heart, one that is turning back towards you and seeking you. Lord, help us to be exposed to those areas in life that we are keeping for ourselves in pride and selfishness. Help us to understand what it means to, to seek you in those areas and turn those areas over to you. Lord, it, it is my heart and desire to serve you fully and faithfully. And I pray that that is the desire for everyone here. In those seasons where it's hard, where it's difficult, where we're distracted, I pray that as brothers and sisters we can come alongside and support each other, calling each other back to your truths, back to your word, helping one another in gentleness and in love to serve you faithfully. Lord, help us to love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength. Help us to love others, to love others in the way that you love them. Help grace to be on our lips in every conversation. Give us the wisdom to speak the truth in difficult situations, to stand firm for your word. And Lord, may your spirit continue to mold us and shape us into the image of your son. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Will you please stand for our last song? <clears throat> Oh, how sweet hope of earth and joy.
Yeah. 